0: Welcome to the Runner's World Show, where each week we entertain you, inspire you, and inform you about all things running. I'm David Willey, Editor-in-Chief of Runner's World. This week, in the kick, one of the sport's most charismatic competitors announces his retirement, and a paraplegic man takes on Disney using an advanced robotic exoskeleton. But first, a special episode to kick off the new year. We've got a two-part show on the Sub-30 Club, one of our favorite running groups. First, my interview with Ted Spiker. Ted created the Sub-30 Club in 2012. It all started with a blog post he wrote about wanting to break 30 minutes in a 5K. And not knowing what to expect, he invited runners with the same aspiration to join him in his quest. That post hit a nerve with readers, and what happened next still blows him away. Ted and I have a really insightful conversation not only about the Sub-30 Club and how it's grown but also about his longtime struggle with his weight and about
1: what life is really like in the back of the pack. You know, there there have been a lot of times where it feels really lonely. Um, Things are spread out um, and, you know, it's hard to not beat yourself up if you feel like you're not performing the way you wanted to. Um, Other times, it's incredibly inspiring because people who are there together are pushing each other, they're encouraging each other, they're, they're helping each other hang on, which I also imagine happens, I don't know this, but I imagine happens at the middle of the pack and the front of the pack as well.
0: After that, producer Christine Fennessy spends a weekend talking and running with members of the Sub-30 Club during the Runner's World Half and Festival in October. She wanted to hear just why this group resonates so much with so many. Stick around. Thanks for joining us. Ted Spiker is a man of many talents and titles. He's a professor and chair of the Department of Journalism at the University of Florida. He's the author of Downsize, 12 Truths for Turning Pants-Splitting Frustration into Pants-Fitting Success. He writes the Big Guy blog for Runner's World. He's also a public speaker, a runner and Ironman finisher, and the creator of the Sub-30 Club. I've known Ted for several years. He used to work here at Rodale for Men's Health, and he is one of the nicest, most laid-back guys I know. And so I've got to be honest, I never really saw him as a movement maker, but that's exactly what he has become. He created a running group grounded in positivity that has attracted thousands of runners from all over the country and the world. So, Ted Spiker, when and how did the sub-30 club get started?
1: Well, you know, I've been writing the big guy blog for for a little bit of time, and, you know, I've always been one to chase some running goals. I've never been, you know, really good, never been really athletic, and I've always kind of felt that chasing these running goals are important just you know for self satisfaction and for just improving you know your overall self and your overall running self and um I had done a couple of uh things running wise that I was pleased with but I had never felt that I was really part of the group and I think you know when you're not the traditional size of a a runner at least what you think a runner is You feel a little bit like an outcast sometimes. Um, That's not the case, of course, because there's runners of all shapes and sizes and um, different paces and preferences, but that's the way you kind of feel sometimes. So in 2012, I said, okay, I I know what can make me feel like I'm inching from the back of the pack to a little bit more of the middle of the pack. And I wrote a piece um, for Runner's World on the Big Guy blog, um, about my goal to hit sub30 in a 5k. And, and I tell you I thought I was going to be the only person that would resonate with because of you know what I just said about feeling like, feeling like an outcast. So I said, you know I really want to hit this. I think it would it's a, it's a good mark. It would make me feel like I really worked and improved my speed and, and moved up. So I, I kind of put a call out and I said, hey, if anybody wants to join me in this quest, write me and we'll form a little group. Maybe we can have a little email list or something. So I was envisioning maybe, you know, maybe 20 people would chime in. And I think the end of the piece, I said, you know, oh, please, oh, please let there be five of us. And <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I said, we may not win the race, but we're going to win ours. And it was, I think that was the line that resonated with people, or at least that's what I think was that, you know, there's this whole world of, of running where it's not about competing with everybody else, but just trying to get a little bit a little bit better than, than we were yesterday. And that's how it started. And within, I would say, the first day that that post went up, I had over 100 emails from people and I said, oh my gosh, we're going to need a bigger boat. You know, we're not going to be able to just do, you know, a little group email list to exchange. So we started the group and, um, and it just grew from there. So we now have uh, 4,200 members in it. And it started with that common purpose of trying to hit a sub-30 in a 5K. But it became much more than that because it wasn't about the 5K. It was about feeling a little bit like a misfit. And we all have our goals, and we all want to achieve our goals. Um, And it doesn't matter whether it was a 5K or a mile or improved pace or a longer distance or whatever it was – and, and the group is not about necessarily being a certain pace or a certain uh, group of runners, but it's about kind of a mindset about, you know, encouraging each other to achieve your goals no matter what it is and making you feel okay when you have failures, when you hit the bottom, and then celebrating the successes when you do. And it's just it's just become an incredible group of, of support and encouragement and, and motivation.
0: Yeah, I remember when you wrote that first blog and we were as surprised as you were to see how much traffic that post got and how many shares and likes it got and comments on Facebook it it was immediately apparent to us as well that wow this this really tapped into something remind me what so what was there a 5k that some of you ended up actually running together or did you do it virtually where the, a bunch of you ran one on the same weekend or around the same time and it, whatever the answer to that is how many of you actually did break thirty minutes for that first five K.
1: Uh, good question. Um there 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 wasn't any official race or meetup or anything like that. It was the the basic kind of charge of the group or the mission was whatever you do, whatever race is in your town, whatever um, you want to do, do it. And we're going to be all here and kind of talk about training and talk about nutrition and talking about, you know, how to properly warm up and, you know, what can you do to improve your 5K time? So we didn't really have an official official one. I mean, since then, we've had a lot of virtual races and meetups and things along those lines. but. It was amazing to see in that first year, especially, how many people were like, I did it, I broke it. And and even now, even though the 5K is just a piece of what we are as a group, it's just so – I can't tell you how awesome it is when somebody posts on there and they post a picture of their watch and it's like, you know – 29-45 Twenty nine forty five or twenty nine fifty nine or twenty eight thirty four, and it seemed to be this kind of benchmark that that a lot of us who felt like we were the back of the pack, it, it kind of felt like it was the gate. You know, it was the gate into the running world where we felt like, all right, we got we got some legs to us. And obviously, you know, you know better than everyone that that running is relative, and you know, twenty nine fifty nine is really fast for some people and really slow for some people. So it it wasn't about the 30 specifically, but it was about, I think, the the symbol of getting to a place where you wanted to get. And that can apply to fast runners, slow runners, uh, long runners, short runners, everybody. So I love
0: the Big Guy blog, and you and I have spent time together several times. So we've met in person, but for listeners' benefit, after all, this is an audio medium, just how
1: big are you, Ted <laughs> Um, You know, that's funny because, you know, sometimes I'll get comments and they'll see a picture of me and say, oh, you're not big. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, right. you're nothing. You call that big? <laughs> yeah, Yeah, because big is relative, right? Um, I'll answer your question I guess directly first and then give you my take on it but so I'm 6'2 and I've varied my weight has yo-yoed a lot so I've had a lot of ups and downs Um, I'm probably in the 220s right now um, but I got up to um, 279 was my highest highest weight Um, and I've been down to kind of the low 200s. You know, sometimes I, you know, look like I carry more than I do. Sometimes I look like I carry a little less. I tend to be a little bottom heavy, so I've got a lot of uh, extra weight and kind of the glutes hips region which you think would be good on hills but apparently is not um Mm. (laughs) but but you know big is again relative so we'll have people who um who have you know comment on the big guy blog and you know they're really struggling with weight and they'd be maybe over you know 300 pounds but you know again it's the common theme is of just trying to be a little bit better a little bit healthier and be into a place where you want want to uh want to be
0: And how did you feel like you were an outsider in the running community
1: because you were a a bigger guy? How did that manifest itself? Well, I mean, it was, you know, I don't want to get all Freudian, but it was definitely, you know, kind of a psychological thing where you just feel like you're not part of the group. And, you know, the place where it really hit me was my first Um, my first half marathon. It was actually in Allentown, Pennsylvania, right outside the headquarters of of Runner's World. And this was back when I was working at um, Men's Health. And I had trained really well, I thought, for my first half. And I had stuck to the training program, uh, really put the time in. I felt like I was in my best running shape I had been um, in a long time. And I was about, gosh, I would say about six miles in and I I, th- I felt good. I was like, wow, I'm doing well. I'm doing what I set out to do. And I heard a noise in the back background of me, and it was a microphone. And the person said, sir, do you need some water? Sir, do you need some water? And I looked back, and it was the race ambulance talking to me. Hmm. <laughs> like they, they were tailing me, and, and that to me was like the signal that I was really at the end of this. And it just destroyed me psychologically. I was like, are you— are you kidding me? I'm at the end? So then I get to mile 11, and I'm running up this hill, and I'm already kind of, you know, beat up mentally. And I get passed in the car by one of my coworkers at Men's Health. He had already finished the race, um, obviously already had his post-race bananas and socialized and was on his way home. So we're talking a long time. And he rolls down his window, and he, and he looked at me with, like, the most gentle eyes that you could imagine. And he said, um, Spiker, Um, I think you're off course. So I, I was, I was like a quarter mile up a hill and I looked back down and I saw the people who were walking the race ahead of me. And, uh, so, you know, I just kind of took off and I was like, I gotta, I'm, I'm running this. How can I be behind, um, you know, kind of the very end of the race. And I got to the end of the race, I finished and I had a couple friends waiting for me, which was just so, you know, important and meaningful and, um, you know, and got to the, got to the end and finished And, you know, to to kind of go back to what you asked is, you know, I think we all have or not maybe not maybe not everybody, but a lot of us kind of have these, uh, you know, I don't want to be so heavy to say demons, but we have these kind of feelings that we're not doing as well as we can or should or think we should. And, you know, running is very revealing right? Running is honest. Running tells you whether you've trained. Running tells you whether you're carrying extra pounds. Running tells you um, running is symbolic of what you think you've done in terms of achieving goals. And I think when you spend some time in the back of the pack, you see so many um, accomplishments and so many people who have kind of overcome um, something to get there. But, you know, they still have to kind of grapple with, wow, you know, five thousand people just finished before me, and it's a, it's an interesting place to be because there's so much to celebrate for a lot of people who are at the back. Um, but you still have to deal with wow, there are some there are some rabbits out there going crazy fast, and it's hard not to compare and it's hard not to think, hey, why can't I be that way? And it's it's hard to kind of realize that you know every race should be a celebration for what you've what you've accomplished.
0: I know that we have some listeners who know what it's like to run at the back of the pack. But I also know that we have lots of listeners who don't know what it's like. They're middle of the pack or even at at the front. So can you talk a little bit about what it's like at the back of the pack, just for people who may not be aware, either from your own point of view or from the point of view of other sub 30 club
1: members. Sure. And, you know, I I think that, you know, certainly depends on everybody's, you know, own experience and everybody's um, mindset. And it's different for everyone. So I don't want to, I certainly don't want to kind of generalize for everyone. But, you know, there, there have been a lot of times where it feels really lonely. Um, Things are spread out. Um, and, you know, it's hard to not beat yourself up if you feel like you're not performing the way you wanted to. Um, other times, it's incredibly inspiring because people who are there together are pushing each other, they're encouraging each other, they're, they're helping each other hang on, which I also imagine, I don't know this, but I imagine it happens at the middle of the pack and the front of the pack as well. Um, but you see that, that community and that, that um, really connection between people who are um, working hard, hard there.
0: And how about in terms of race logistics? What have been some of your experiences running at at the back of the pack? And I totally understand that that you don't want to generalize, but I also know that some of the difficulties of being at the back of the pack do relate to what's left at the aid stations, what's happening, you know, with the bands toward the end of the race or just the crowds. That are out there to support runners.
1: Sure, um, you know it, it's it's you know certainly uh, interesting. Every race is race is different. Um, you know, a few years ago, I was able to, um, to run in an Ironman, and the end of the race there is a total different feeling than a lot of um, a lot of running uh, races for sure, because it's a party. You know, the last hour of an Ironman, and everybody's out there celebrating. It's the, kind of the peak peak moment. Um, but you know, when I was training for that, I did a, about a half, it was a little less than a half and I was at the back that was at the end, but it was, it was a training race and it was a small race. It was a very small race. And, you know, I was probably a mile, a mile away or something and everybody was gone. And, and even the race group had taken down the finishing area. And my friend who had finished well before me was like, we still got one out there. Um, so they quick put it back up and I finished And um, you know, certainly depends on the on the size and and all that, but it's a you know, it's tough. I understand it. If if you know, if most of the runners are finishing a half between, you know, one thirty and two hours, you know, that's a long time to wait for people who are finishing three hours, three and a half or more, or, you know, two forty five or whatever it is. Um, but I think that a different, you know, mindset in how we approach the back is something certainly worth worth exploring. But you know that's a that's hard for the volunteers, and you have to certainly thank the volunteers for, uh, you know, being out there and cheering on. I've seen some great people out there clapping and and cheering and encouraging you to, to go because that, you know, that really is important. It's important for everyone, but it's a really important when you know you're you're kind of you know working working towards the towards the back. Yeah. So I'm
0: curious, what what do you imagine? the world looks like from the front of the
1: (laughs) table gosh it's so nice you're done a 5k in 20 minutes and (laughs) you know you know a half in 130 and um you know and that's you know something that i'll never achieve but just it would be neat to kind of have that feeling, but I almost imagine, and you know, this may be totally off base, but I almost imagine the feeling is kind of the same. It's just different paces. So if you're working hard in a race, you're working hard no matter what your, your fitness level. So there's, I imagine there's some similarities. It's just, it took one person a lot um, shorter time than to cover than, um, than the others, you know?
0: Yeah. I'm glad you said that because by and large, that feels true to me. I'm sure there are Outliers, of course. You know, there are some people at the front of the pack who maybe uh, are still dismissive of people who are running at the back, just like there are probably people running at the back who have their minds made up about what the, you know, fastest runners are like and, and what they're thinking. But I do feel like most runners understand and, and do share that common experience of having a goal and pursuing it as best you can. And it makes me wonder, it, since you've started the sub-30 club and, and you guys have gotten more visibility and the group has gotten bigger, 4,200 people, that's just phenomenal. And you guys have such a presence when you're at a race. I'm wondering, do you end up having conversations? Do you meet people who are toward the front of the pack? And what are those conversations like? Are they surprising to you? Are they supportive? Or, or do you guys still, as, as back-of-the-pack runners... Feel like you still are somehow ostracized a bit?
1: No, no. I think the the camaraderie between hall runners is, is has been great, and I think something that's really worth saying is that sub 30 isn't just back of the Packers. Like we have some really really fast runners in there who are so supportive and encouraging about you know everybody's races. They're not judgmental. They're really just super about. You know, everybody's running their race. And, and I think that a lot of people have really experienced, you know, good connections.
0: I, I have made it a tradition to always start our half marathons last. I even let the ambulance go past. And then I start because I, in part, want to just meet as many runners at our race as I can and, you know, talk with people and encourage them if I can and and also wanted to see with my own eyes and experience myself what it is like running at the back of the pack, and what I came away with was that I, I gained a whole new appreciation for how hard it is to be out there as long as the back of the pack is out there. It's it's yeah. a different kind of accomplishment. Uh, you know, running a two twenty marathon is an astonishing athletic. Achievement, But I'm here to tell you that running a, a five, six-hour marathon, to me, is just as impressive. It, it really is because it is hard to be out there for five, six, seven hours. I, I remember when Fred LeBeau, in the last year before his death... Uh, from cancer and Fred LeBeau was the founder and the race director of the New York City Marathon he finally wanted to to run his own race and the year that he did it Greta Weitz ran with him and Greta Weitz had won New York uh, either eight or nine times and she decided that she wanted to run with Fred they were very close and I can't remember what their finishing time was but it was probably you know 7 hours at least. Greta said that it was the hardest thing that she'd ever done. She said it was harder than running, you know, the 220, 230 races that she ran when she won New York. Running running at that pace was harder, it was more painful, it was more physically challenging. So I wonder if those members of the sub 30 club that do long races and stay out there that long? Are you guys aware of what an achievement that is, and do you think other runners see it that
1: way? I, I think I think they're definitely aware of it, and I think that's one of the things that we talk about is what you just said. Which I'm I'm happy you you said that because it is, it, it's not about comparing, but it is a hard it is a hard outing to be out there that long because it's not it's not a different amount of effort. You know, it's the same effort, just a different body and a different pace. So, so it is a long time to be, to be exerting for sure. I think we've had, we've had runners who have experienced a lot of community with, with people, but I I also think there are, there are runners who also experience, um, some backlash as well, you know, some judgment and, you know, I mean, I I will tell you this, that a few days ago I was out for my longest run and, I'm not fast. Right. You know, I'm, I go what I can go and I'm working on it. And two guys in a truck whiz by me um, and they honked their horn and they yelled something out the window. And I think I, I didn't make exactly out what what it was, but it was essentially calling me out on a certain part of my anatomy for being a little bit larger than maybe they thought was appropriate for a runner. And um, I mean, obviously, that wasn't a runner doing having that scorn, but it, we have a plenty of people who have experienced that kind of um, feeling of being judged. Well, if you would just train a little bit more, you could be better. Or if you would just eat a little less, you would be better. So stop saying that you want this goal if you're not willing to put in the time to do it. Which is, you know, that's a legit thing to to think, um, and it's a legit thing to certainly talk about. But when it's coming from, you know, strangers or you know, other people, it's it's really not that person's place to be you know, to be weighing in on, on that, I think, but, you know, and I don't want to imply that that's pervasive, but, you know, you know, I've experienced it or maybe it's Mm -hmm. self-imposed, but I think other runners have experienced it too. Um, You know, but for the most part, I think that you know, it is incredibly supportive of, you know, community of, of people encouraging everybody. And I think, you know, maybe this is just because I'm more in tune to it. I think there's a lot more support for back of the pack. But it's it's also a very tricky thing to do, right? So if you're a good runner and somebody's coming in a 5K, you know, you finish in 22 minutes, 23 minutes, whatever it is, and somebody's coming in at 36, 38 or whatever it is, and you're clapping and telling them you can do it, you got it. There's a little bit that I would imagine feels a little condescending too, and you know sometimes you, you as the back of the pack runner, don't want um, you don't want people to be like pity clapping you either, you know, and mm-hmm. and you know it's 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 tricky, and I don't want to overanalyze it, but you know I, I sometimes. Feel like that If I'm out there cheering, if I'm not running a race and I'm cheering and I want to purposely cheer for the back of the pack because I think sometimes it's really quiet out there, it also feels like a little bit, oh, good job, you person who doesn't look like he or she should be a runner. Good job. You know, it can kind of feel like that. And yeah. that's awkward not just for the recipient but also for the giver. So I, I feel for the people who want to be encouraging that they don't also want to come off like being condescending as well. Is there a way to do that? You know, I I think to not over cheer, you know, just clap, say, nice, nice work. You got it. You know, is good. But when it's it can come off as being too much too sometimes. Um, But I think having a presence out there is what's most important. And if there's a way to kind of change the culture that um, there's more of a presence of people out there for those back of the Packers. You know, I don't know how you change that culture, um, but it's definitely the difference between kind of a celebratory culture and a lonely culture, I think. Like I said, we really make sure
0: that we celebrate the back of the pack at our race. And, in fact, we encourage as many runners as possible to come back to the starting shoot and cheer on the back of the pack and make a pretty big deal over the last finisher. You do. Runner's world is great at that. Yeah. So should should we – Should honestly, should we be doing that, or or is is that a double edged sword? And I know for a fact, one year the the last finisher of our of our race, which was you know right around, uh, four hours or just under four hours, was a sub thirty group runner. Mm -hmm. Is that a good thing that we do that, or or does it come off a little condescending?
1: No, I don't think it comes condescending because you're trying to institute a culture that every runner is important, and when there is, you know, uh, when. Bart Yasso is calling out the name and there's a and you're there and there's a big feeling and it just feels festive. that's that's a good thing. Um, and I think that the more people that have that, it makes it feels big and community wise, that doesn't come off, I think is as, as bad whatsoever. And I think we need we need more of that. But you know, it's also about the individual runner. you know, some runners like it and some runners right. don't. So yeah. th- there's no way to really game that and you don't really know. For some people, the back of the pack is an incredible achievement. For some people, it was the worst race of their life, and they don't want somebody to be celebrating it. And you just don't know everybody's story. So it's so hard to, so hard to, like, you know, do it perfect for everyone. Yeah. So what is your 5K PR? Uh, 2934. And I can tell you that was the. Happiest freaking day of my life. It was not not literally, but it was a it was you know besides Ironman, it was certainly my happiest running moment. And I had I had trained hard speed speed wise um, for that race. I tried to do everything exactly the way you should do it. And um, when I crossed and saw that it, there was a two as the first number and not a three, I <laughs> it was it was it was awesome. So, as
0: far as nutrition, how have the points of view of the people in, in sub 30 and how is your point of view about nutrition changed if it has since you guys, uh, have, have been together at, as a running group?
1: Um, you know, nutrition is really, really a tough one for a lot of people. You know, I mean, you know, certainly I think, you know, by writing the big guy blog, I, you know, kind of represent a, um, a set of people who maybe struggled a little bit with, with weight, um, you know, that's certainly something that I address in um, in my book and, and the experiences of, of going up and down. And, you know, it's interesting to watch the food discussions on, on in the club because there's a whole running joke, whether you're hashtag team cake or hashtag team pie. And, you know, you know, for a lot of people, running is licensed to kind of let loose a little bit, you know, when you went to eating-wise. Um, but, you know, I think there's also some real honest discussion about you know, if you're gonna do better as a runner, or if you're gonna drop weight, if you're going to drop times because you have dropped weight, that you have to that you have to address, you know, nutrition um, smartly, and um, you know, not as a, an excuse, because you know, a three mile run isn't burning enough to justify the you know, the cheese fries. And, you know, sometimes psychologically, I think we think that. Um, I know I've thought that, even though we know logically it doesn't. Um, So, you know, I think it's the case with any, you know, really strong supportive group kind of having this mix between celebrating the fun stuff and, you know, having a dose of reality too. I'm really
0: interested in this balancing act between wanting to – make some choices that will improve your running, especially as it relates to, you know, what what you choose to eat or what you choose to give up versus, you know, continuing to do the things that make you happy because you enjoy doing them. I actually think about that a lot. And how do you manage that personally?
1: Wow, really hard, really hard. Um, And I think that's one of the big struggles for, for um, you know, a lot of runners who have who have struggled with um, with weight, and you know, personally, it's it is a fine line, and, and you don't really want to work so much into rules and guidelines. But I think it stems back to a central question, which is, what do you want? You know, what do you want? What is most important to you in this moment? And um, you know, when I was training for training for Ironman, that was most important at that time. And I needed to, I needed to finish that. And I needed to complete that task, even though I knew it was going to be difficult. So it was a lot easier to make good nutritional decisions back then, because that is what drove me. And that's what I wanted to accomplish. And I felt like I didn't have a choice and I had to do what it took to, to barely squeak by. Um, but other times you may, you know, what you might, might what might change and it might ebb and flow and I think that's where, you know, everybody really asks asks that question of themselves is what do they want and if the twenty nine fifty nine is what's most important and getting an extra five pounds off is what's going to do it then I think that's going to direct choices. If you're out there running because you love the community and camaraderie of race day, and it doesn't matter to you whether you're a thirty two or a forty two or a twenty two, then that's okay too and. Um, and I, and I think it's different for every person. And I think it's also different for every person's race and every person's goal. I mean, we'll see goals that are, you know, I don't want to say superficial, but they're, they're like, okay, this was a goal I want, but it's not the be all end all. But then we'll see people who were like, this is everything I'm trading for right now. And we all have different spectrums of, of those goals.
0: Yeah. So you've lost, what, like 65, 70 pounds over, over yeah, the years? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I've yo-yoed, but, you know, my probably greatest, and this was over a long period of time, I my highest was 280, and I was down into the low twos, you know, at, at my best um, most recently. So that would be a total of 80, but it was not at one time. You know, it was 280, then I got down to, you know, 265, 240, scooted back up a little bit, then back down to 230, 220, scoot back up, and then down. So it's a, it's been it's certainly a yo-yo, yo-yo process for sure. And I know that one of the things that highlights weight
0: loss over time is the way your clothes fit. They fit differently. Do you still have any of the clothes that you had when you were at 280 or 285?
1: Yeah, I kept a bathing suit, um, and it's up at the top level of my closet. And um, it was pretty cool to put it on. Uh, one day and see how much room was in there but yeah, um, yeah. but you know I don't have uh, don't have the others but you know I got a weird shape so clothes fitting is just a pain in the butt you know so it's uh, it literally is a pain in the butt because <laughs> I don't fit yeah. these these clothes but it's uh, you know which is a whole nother story with um, trying to find good running shorts that work but uh, but yeah
0: So you've mentioned a couple of times your Ironman, uh, and you've almost mentioned it as an aside. The Ironman is no aside. It it is an audacious goal. For listeners who may not know, an Ironman triathlon is a 2.4-mile swim, followed by a 112-mile bike ride, followed by a marathon, 26.2 miles. What in the world made you want to take on that kind of audacious goal and, and... how did you prepare for it, and how did it go?
1: Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Here's this guy who's always at the back of the pack, and he thinks he's going to do this, <laughs> do this race. Um, you know, as a kid, I was always fascinated by it. I would always watch the, I would always watch the NBC feed of of, of Ironman um, Kona, and and I just thought, gosh, those people are just amazing athletes. It would be awesome to try one day. And you know, given my athletic history, it's not something that I ever really, really considered. But I have a buddy who. Um, who ran one. And he told me one day, he said, we're doing it next year. We're doing Ironman Florida next year. (laughs) And I was like, "Okay, you know, because it goes back to kind of being in the mode of like always trying to chase something bigger and and doing something um, that you haven't done before. And I I like the idea of giving it a try. So we ended up volunteering at Ironman Florida in 2012 because that's how you would get entry for the next year is by volunteering and be there being there because it sells out immediately. So we volunteered um, just so inspired by everything that was happening. And it set me forth on a year of training and, uh, you know, very interesting year of training, you know, trying to balance a couple of swims a week, a couple of bike rides a week, and a couple of uh, runs a week, especially as the volume got, volume got bigger, but it was absolutely the most dedicated I've ever been to any training plan. And, and I wouldn't say that I was a good, Trainer by any stretch, because I was just hanging on to try to get my mileage in. There were a lot of things I could have done differently, but but I worked hard, and uh, and and race day came, and I won't go. Too crazy. But I'll just give you the, the quick highlight. And I I knew that I was going to be close. And as you know, there's a 17 hour time limit. So you could finish in 17 hours in one second, and there would be a DNF next to your name if, yeah. um, if you finished that way. So, um, so my old only goal was you know 16:59, 59, 59, whatever whatever took the to cross. That's what I'd hope to do. So, um, swim came, and you know, maybe 3,000 people, I guess it. Ironman Florida, everybody jumps into the Gulf of Mexico at once and we're off and I had a good swim, was really happy with my swim. Um, I knew I'd be between 130 and 145 and I was hoping I could hit 130 and I think I hit an hour and 35 minutes and I was thrilled with that. Um, I knew the bike was going to be trouble because I was not strong and I had not done as much uh, speed work as I could have. And, you know, obviously wind can play a factor. It's not a very hilly course in Florida, but wind can play a factor. So my goal was just to get through, you know, as, as well as I can. And so I was on the bike and it started off okay and just kind of slowed a little bit and didn't quite hit where I wanted to be, but finished the bike and knew I had some time to, to get the marathon done and... My plan going into the run was you're going to run two and walk one, and whatever you can do, just hang on. So I start the first mile of the run, and I go two and one, Meaning two minutes, one minute, or two miles, one mile? Sorry, sorry, two minutes, one minute. I knew I was not, I was new that after 112 on the bike that I was not going to be able to do too much longer than that. So I started running, and I did the first mile, two and one, and I have never felt anything like this before, is my whole (laughs) body was just cramped. It wasn't even a specific part of my body. It (laughs) It was torso, legs, arms. I was like, what in the world is going on? And I was like, I can't do this. And I said, okay, you know, you you got to make an adjustment and you got to figure out how you're going to get done. So I told myself, you are going to walk as fast as you can to mile five. Just get to mile five and then we'll reevaluate. So I took off walking. You know, I mean, I guess that's an oxymoron, but I took off. <laughs> you know, as fast as I could um, walking. to just get to five and I did that. And still not feeling great. And I just told myself your plan is when you feel like you can, you run a hundred steps. You know, and then. Um, you walk, and then you run 100 steps. And I just kept looking at my watch, kept trying to plan it out as to how much time I had. And I had only had one freak-out moment, and that was at the halfway mark. And the halfway mark is an up and back. Um, so you'll see the people who are ahead of you. And this guy was probably 10 minutes ahead of me, and a woman ran up to him. So he, I was facing him, and he was coming toward me. A woman ran up to him and said, you have got to move it they are tracking you not to finish you have got to move now and i'm like wait my clock says i'm okay but she's telling him that he's not going to make it and he's 10 minutes ahead of me i'm i'm in trouble so between miles 13 and 14 was my fastest mile of the of the race um because i freaked out you know i was like i gotta hit it but i think what was happening was they were calculating him slowing down so they were calculating him um not finishing But uh, I was in a low level of stress all day. It wasn't panic. It was just like, come on, just go. You got to do it. You can finish it. You know, I knew there were a lot of people who were um, supporting me. My family was, um, you know, sending me good vibes. And and the sub-30 club, I didn't know it, but the sub-30 club had a a whole string of comments going off of of my race because they were tracking me and tracking my paces. And I didn't feel good until – mile 24, and I think I hit mile 24 with an hour left. And I was like, Hmm. okay, I can crawl now. Well, probably (laughs) not, I probably wouldn't make it if I crawled. I said, I could walk now and I'm gonna make it. So the last two miles were still slow, but I knew I was gonna make it. And I can tell you that, you know, I told you before that the 5K was, you know, certainly probably my happiest running moment because it was my, I actually felt like a runner right there but that last half mile of the Ironman was the most unbelievable half mile I've ever shuffled through in my life. It was, it was just incredible. And it was lined with people going crazy, um, just cheering. I was high-fiving people as well as I could. And crossing that line to me was like the weight was over. and uh, The weight was lifted off of my, my shoulders. It was, I finished in 1639, so I had 20 minutes to spare, so just barely made it. Um, but right then and there, I think that was the moment that I realized my weight doesn't matter. My times don't matter. It doesn't matter whether I, whether I hit a certain time or pace or I'm in the back or the middle or whatever it is. Like I did something I never thought I could do and I finished. And no matter what happens later, I have that and I finished. And um, it was just a really special race and a really special moment. And I can't speak for anybody else, so I don't want to project what it maybe meant to other people. But I hope that at least what some of the readers and some of the sub 30 people got was you do not have to be a traditional runner to achieve your goals. You can do something if you figure out the method and the mode to get there. And I hope that. You know, me finishing Ironman was, for me, absolutely, 100%. It was totally selfish, and I got a lot out of it. But I hope that there was, a, there was a message to people that you can do things that you never thought you could do.
0: For a link to Ted's original post about the Sub-30 Club, and for more information on joining the group, go to runnersworld.com audio. Coming up, producer Christine Fennessy logs time and a 10K with a huge group of subbers to understand what makes membership in sub-30 so meaningful.
2: Let's go, everybody! Over here! here.
3: It's a few minutes before 7 on a crisp Saturday morning. Nearly 120 members of the Sub-30 Club are gathering for a group photo at the base of the Bethlehem Steel Stacks, site of the start-finish line of the Runners' World Half and Festival. The festival is a jam-packed weekend, with a trail race on Friday, a 5K and a 10K on Saturday, and a half marathon on Sunday. The Sub-30 Club are a loud, exuberant bunch, so it's surprising to learn that this weekend marks the first time many of them have met in person. It looks and sounds like they've known each other forever. That's because they are in constant contact over social media, about everything. From training advice, to motivation, to virtual high fives when someone nails a goal. They've created a network of support and friendship so vast, they're bound to find each other no matter where they run.
2: Knowing that we can go to a race in Delaware and I'll know somebody there. Going to a race in Florida and you'll, hey, any suburbs running this race? And And these strangers
3: picking you up at the airport and you're like,
2: Oh my gosh! Like you've known each other forever, and you're like, I've
4: never met them in real life, but it feels so natural, it's like not a problem.
3: That was Anna Akri and Annika Sari. They were wearing matching black sub 30B shirts and bright yellow skirts. I figured they were sisters. But in fact, they are not. Anna is from Minnesota and she's been a member of the group since the beginning. Annika is from Delaware and joined in 2014. So
4: not quite a lifer, I'm a (laughs) half-lifer. And we're 20s. Everyone gets us confused. That's the funniest thing of all. Yeah, it is. is. Last year, we had people come up to me and say, oh, Anna, so what do you
2: say? And then I had people come up to me and say, Annika! And I'm like, no, it's Anna. But I just kept quiet. We don't. We let them call us those names.
3: It's true. They both have chin-length blonde hair and blue eyes. They're about the same height and build, and their names, Anna and Annika, good grief. I asked what they'd found with sub thirty that they hadn't found with other running groups. Annika answered first. Acceptance. It doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, what you run.
2: They'll support you if you're running a 25 5K or a 19 5K or a 35 5K or a 40. So kind of supporting everyone's goals. Like whatever your goal is, we will push you and support you when you get it. And my favorite was that... when I'm finishing the, the half marathon last year, there were people there cheering for me and, and yes. being excited that I was finishing, whereas mm-hmm. I've done other races where everyone's kind of gone, and but suburbs right. wait, so that's, the best. that's probably one of the best parts is I know that there will be people waiting for me at the finish.
3: When Ted Spiker started this group in 2012, it had about 100 members. As of this recording, it has 4,385 members, from all 50 states and 15 countries. I wanted to experience just what made this group so attractive to so many runners. So I decided I'd not only lurk around their photo ops, but I'd run with them too. I'd heard that the 10K was famous among subbers for its middle of the pack party. As a former competitive cyclist and a not very fast, but eternally trying to PR a runner, the idea of partying during a race sounded confusing. And very intriguing. On my way to the starting line, I met Vinny Seal. He joined after meeting a subber on the 5K course of the Runners World Festival last
1: year. And it was my wife's birthday, and it was her first 5K. And because of an injury, she had to walk. So we were in the back the whole race we were in the back. And as just as we come into the home stretch, there's a guy carrying this flag that said sub-30 on him. I'm like, what in the world is that? And as we're coming into the finish line, it didn't even dawn on me that he had dropped further back because he didn't want my wife to finish last, dead last on her birthday and her first 5K and everything, she was crying because the vehicle, the SAG vehicle, was right behind us the whole race, you know. And she's like, she's like tears are in her eyes because she knows she's going to finish last. And then Derek, I'm getting choked up. And then Derek showed up and then he, he wouldn't let her finish last.
3: Hundreds of people were already lined up for the 10K, but it didn't take Vinny and me long to find the group of subbers that we were looking for. So and now they just handed you the flag, so what does this mean? (laughs) Oh, the flag we bought last year. It's the Sub-30 logo. That's Jeff Loeb. He's been with Sub-30 since 2014 after learning about it in Runner's World. And then what happens is, as it... It
0: gets sent around the country where people are running. And so people will sign it and put the race. You can see
3: Hood to Coast, uh, Great River Ragnar. And so the people sign it when they Jeff was actually the reason I was running this race. I'd met him the night before, and he told me that he'd never had so much fun in a race as he did last year running the 10K. How many names do you think are on it? I don't know. Um, I finally got to sign it last night, but I have no idea. That huge cheer... That was about 25 subbers going nuts when the announcer called them out as we crossed the starting line.
2: This will be interesting. I've never run carrying
3: anything. <laughs> love the colorful
5: jerseys and the tights and the films.
3: Out on the course, there were subbers all around me. Talking, laughing, introducing themselves, running sometimes, and walking sometimes. I met Lindsay Walsh during one of the walk breaks. She joined the group in 2014 because, as she tells it, her friends got sick of her posting about her runs all the time on Facebook but hooking up with sub-30 instantly put her among kindred spirits.
5: My husband's a competitive runner, or was in college and high school, and I know some of his teammates are very, um, I don't, there's not really a nice way to say it, but arrogant about you're not running unless you're running an eight-minute mile or faster. This is, that's not this group. This group is, if you're out there and you're moving your feet and you're giving it 100%, that's, that's all there is to it. And will you explain?
3: Will you explain this this interval
5: thing that we're doing right now? This is our middle of the pack party, a three to one running walking ratio. And it's sort of a chance for all of us to hang out together during the race, get to know each other, mingle, and laugh and have some good times.
3: About halfway through the race, I ran next to Megan Montesenko. She joined the group three years ago. And while we were going up a particularly steep hill, I asked her why.
5: Growing up I was last in every race that I ever did in school. But I never had any support. You know, no one when I was in school and running a mile, nobody ran me in. And it felt like running was like a punishment and I didn't think I would ever want to do it for fun. Last year this very race, the 10K. Andy and Will said, we're going to run a middle of the pack 10K. It's going to be a party on our feet. And when they said what their pace was going to be, I was amazed that that was a pace I could do because this is a, a group of athletes. The idea that I could be in the middle of that group and able to keep up was amazing. So it was the first time I had ever run with a group of
3: friends. And um, I just had such a fun time. The Andy that Megan mentioned is Andy Aubin. He's been with a group for more than four years. He's now the executive director of Sub 30, which basically means he's chief organizer of Fun Stuff. Today, he's helping lead the party here in the middle of the pack. My friends outside of, outside of my running circle think
0: I'm insane for you know, running. I'm going to run a 5k, take a little break and then run a 10k after that. So and then I might stop and go go back and run some people in. and they're like you're nuts. You know, I have, you know, we have we have a support group here that thinks that that is perfectly logical. <laughs> so Excuse me for one second.
1: Walking.
0: Walking. Sorry, I'm <laughs> I'm uh, leading the pace group right now, so I, I give the Be running and walking, yell.
3: But we're still running. Yes, yes we are. We We should walk. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. After we start walking, Andy tells me that he initially began running to lose weight. He started a blog and became a big believer in public accountability. So after reading about the sub thirty club, he was in. He tells me he's seen the group grow to include runners with goals of all kinds. There are Ironman athletes and Boston qualifiers. Runners trying to break 130 in the half, and others training for their first 5K. I eventually leave Andy to his pacing duties to talk to more subbers. And I will tell you this. When I made the final turn to the finish line, I couldn't believe the race was over. I hadn't noticed a single mile marker. I crossed the finish and walked up to Andy and Therese Schweier. Therese is the group's assistant executive director, and she had helped Andy pace the 10K to within seconds of their goal.
2: We were hoping like oh. around 115 and it was
3: 114 and change, so like perfect. Whoa. Yeah. Look at
0: that.
3: Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. A lot of fun. High five. Teresa and Andy headed back down the chute to spend the rest of the race running in their fellow subbers. And anyone else who wanted or needed a little encouragement. Or just a friendly, sweaty face by their side. <laughs> the <in> I could have called it quits after the 10K. I got it. Sub-30 was special because everyone mattered. And because it was fun. Really fun. These guys didn't go home or to the hotel or the bar after the race. They grabbed bananas or beer or both and hung out at the finish shoot, hollering their heads off. A bunch of them joined Andy and Therese and ran people in. That middle-of-the-pack party went straight through to the final finisher. So yeah, I could have skipped a half marathon on Sunday. But I was there for the morning group photo because, well, because I really like these subbers. You don't often see a 120-person strong running love fest. After the photo, I saw Therese give a giant, long hug to another subber named Susan Hurd. Susan was wearing a skirt covered in glitter and a headband that read, Beautiful badass, and she had tears in her eyes. I walked over and asked how she was feeling. I am so excited and nervous and freaking out, but I'm ready. This is this
2: is beyond. We have worked so hard to get to this point. Um, you know, less than a year ago, I couldn't run. 500 feet and slow and steady just worked through a training plan and just kept going with the support of this group and here we are how did
3: how did you end up going from not being a runner to finding this group it's a great story so last year at this time I had in 2011 Susan lost her son David to cancer he was 10 years old in 2015 two of her friends John and Larry ran 100 miles to raise money for pediatric cancer research. They started in New Jersey and finished the final 13.1 miles at this very half marathon. Susan, who wasn't a runner at the time, served as their support crew. And while she waited for them at the finish line, she started thinking, Maybe I'll run this half next year.
2: I wound up standing at the finish line for hours and I kept seeing these sub 30 shirts and all these great people like cheering each other on even the last runner running in and cheering and um a woman had on a gold ribbon pin which is the color for pediatric cancer awareness. So finally I was like, I gotta find out who these people are. So I went over to her and introduced myself. Her son, thank God, is a survivor. She said, I'm gonna add you to this sub-30 group. And I said, oh, I don't run though. And she's like, yes you do. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. Because at that point I was still like on the fence about this whole half thing. And uh, she added me to the group and I watched them and I love I love the energy here and the positive motivation and the support is just tremendous. I, I just feel so lucky. I really, honest to God, it's. It's amazing. I mean, I I also, I've lost 100 pounds in this whole process. I used to do a lot of yoga, and after he died, I just, because he used to do yoga with me, and I, I I don't know, I just sat on my couch and ate and drank as much booze as I could consume for, like, two years, and then I realized, like, you got to get up, and you got to do this, and, you know, it's for me, it's it's recovery, it's, and I didn't want to disappoint David and just be like, drunk on my couch because I didn't feel like getting up. Because that just is not who I am, and it's not what I wanted to be. So do you feel like this group,
1: this group has been a part of this transformation?
2: Oh my God, these people, they're like, I always say the friends of my phone, like the support that comes out of this telephone is ridiculous. I mean, like I have great friends and a great support system, but they think I'm insane. I mean, they're just like, she won't drink wine with us anymore. She's always off running. She gets up at the crack of dawn. But these guys get it. I mean, and there's some people here that just All right, here we go. Yeah. They get it.
3: After Susan made me cry, she left for the starting line of her very first half marathon. later, I found her among the crowd of subbers who were once again lining the finish chute, cheering like it was their job. There were no tears on her face this time, just a giant smile.
2: How was it? I crushed my goal by like three or four minutes. Um, I had one of my subbers ran with me the entire way. My goal was 245. Mile 12, I totally lost it. I was just like, I just ran further than I've ever run because I only ran to 11 and a half in my training. So Jen says to me, she's like, just go, just dig. And I'm like, let's do this. And I looked up at the clock and it said like 2.43 and I heard people yelling my name and I was just like, oh my God, they're yelling my name. And I just like did it, just went right in. Oh my gosh, at mile 12, Katy Perry's firework came on and that was his song. And I just stood there, poor Jen, I just stood there like, like tears running down my face, just the emotion of running and pushing and working. Congratulations! And thank you so much. Oh my God! Yay! And uh, you know, just just working hard to get it done. <laughs> Come in here, you. Oh yes, yes. That's how can we do it? how we do it together. Great job! Yes. Fantastic. Oh, it was, it was phenomenal. So yeah, I mean, so. she's awesome. I'm oh, not that awesome, but but I did. I, I you know I so the song came on and. I just I said to David, you know, I'm sorry cuz I still feel like you know, I failed. But I'm trying to work through that. I just took all that and I just said, "Let's let's grind this thing out." And we did it. So I just I know he's up there just yes. Do you feel a little bit unstoppable now? Oh, I am unstoppable. I mean, come on. You, you know what? Once you do this, you have to keep going. Like, this is life now. This is how we're going to live, you know, every day with such gratitude and luck that you get to be here and, and do epic shit. Like, yes, every day, every day.
3: Susan headed back to her friends just as an impromptu dance party broke out among a few suburbs. Oh, yeah. Pretty soon, this group would disband and head back home they'd go back to being friends on their phones for a while. Friends who were pretty much always on call for each other. I was standing there thinking how rare and special that is when I saw Vinnie Seal. I saw you come in, you were carrying the flag and you were surrounded by your your teammates here. If,
4: if this wasn't a podcast, you can see I've got goosebumps. Honest, you can verify.
3: You, you totally do. <laughs> it, it,
1: that's the feeling, my whole body's. It, it's great, it's great.
0: That was producer Christine Fennessy and members of the Sub-30 Club at the Runners World Half and Festival in October. Thanks to all the subbers who came out to race with us that weekend. And we're looking forward to seeing all of you and hearing all of you next year. Okay, it's time for the kick. Here's producer Brian Dalek and reporter Kit Fox.
6: Okay, so the first kick of 2017. I'm here with Kit Fox. Kit, you should welcome everyone back. Yeah, 2017, new year, new us. What are, What are your goals for 2017?
4: I have a very, very big goal in 2017, and that is to find the best diner. Oh yeah, in the area. Okay. How many have you hit so far? There are dozens. This year, I've only hit one. Okay. Since I moved here, I think I've hit about five, but there are dozens. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. A lot of
6: good diners around us. Yes.
4: Going to try and find the best diner in the Lehigh Valley, it's pretty ambitious. I will try to join you for some of those. Excellent. I'll let you know.
6: Okay. Okay. So, because we had the week off last week, we have to catch up on a few things. One that stands out as we had a couple big announcements from the pro scene, some elite runners have announced that they're going to be calling
4: it quits in 2017. Yeah, so to start, two big names in the decathlon and heptathlon world, Ashton Eaton and his wife, Brianne Thiessen, announced that effective immediately, they'll be retiring. Now, um, Ashton, of course, is arguably the best decathlete ever. And decathlon, you
6: basically get the title of world's top athlete because of all the events. Exactly,
4: uh, 10 events. So he holds the world record in the event, uh, two-time gold medalist, of course, including in Rio. You know, he is 28 years old and just decided not to pursue uh, more competition in 2020. And then his wife, Brienne, who competes in the heptathlon for Canada, mm-hmm. uh, decided to join him in retirement. We wish them the best. I'm sure they're going to be mighty successful. You know, they, um, they're they really focusing on kind of lifestyle and getting mm-hmm. other people healthy, which we love.
6: Yeah. And Brienne, she was a bronze medalist in the heptathlon. And the one thing that stood out in the note that they wrote, at least from Ashton's standpoint, is he, he kind of said, You get the question, like, did you fulfill everything you wanted to fulfill as an athlete? And he said, He's not quite sure, and that was shocking considering he holds the world record in the decathlon. So, like, what else can you really do?
4: Well, I mean, he, like, didn't win the World Cup in soccer. Oh, true. Or, you know. He's not the home run champion in baseball. (laughs) Yeah, so he didn't accomplish those, but I think other than that, he pretty much took home every single trophy you can take home.
6: If they're gonna try to help other people, that's a
4: way to really be fulfilled. Exactly, going out on top. Later parts of life. Congrats to both of them on very successful careers. So another
6: announcement away from Ashton and Brienne is that Nick Simmons for the US, one of our top mid-distance runners over the past decade, announced that 2017 is going to be his last year competing um, at 33 year olds Nick. He's a two-time Olympian, world champion, silver medalist in the 800 meters. But yeah,
4: 2017 will be the last go for him. And this is a, a big loss, not just because he is such a you know kind of a firebrand competitor, really mm. really fun to watch, always in the mix. But also over the past few years, he's been a huge advocate for right. athletes' rights, particularly um, regarding sponsorships and standing up to the USATF. Um, you know, and really trying to help these top athletes earn compensation that they deserve. So uh, I'm sure he's going to be very vocal in retirement as well. Mm. Uh, but of course, also he will become the next uh, gum magnet. You know, you have you have Wrigley um, now Simmons household name. Yeah, Run Gum is his gum company it has caffeine. He
6: markets that toward athletes. So he's going to focus on that after 2017. But in 2017. He does want to make one final go at the World Championships. He couldn't compete in the Olympic Trials last year to get into the Olympics. He had a broken ankle, but you know he says his training is back to where it needs to be, and he's gonna, like
4: I said, make one final go at it. Okay, but even after Nick retires, I'm sure we'll still see him out there. He says that he wants to try a marathon in 2018 yeah, to actually break three hours, which is very impressive in and of itself, considering the type of athlete he is. It, Seems reasonable. I wonder what race that will be. We'll have to. Wait of course, for that. it is 25.7 miles longer than he's used to running. So. Li- yeah, it's a little bit
6: longer. He just has to pace himself. Okay, so moving on. This past weekend was the Walt Disney World Marathon weekend, um, and one aspect of that is the Dopey Challenge, where people compete in four races over four days. So a 5K. 10K, half marathon, and marathon. So super easy, easy to do. Stuff. Easy Everyone stuff. can do that, um, and it brings out a lot of people. But one person really stood out amongst the crowd this year, and it's a 30 year old. His name is Adam Gorlitsky. All right. Why did he stand out? So the first thing that is obvious about Adam, unfortunately, is he is a paraplegic. But instead of doing these races and kind of a racing chair or pushrim chair, he walked portions of these races okay you just said he's a paraplegic Mm -hmm. and he walked how is that possible yeah so at the end of 2015 um after a decade of being in a wheelchair because of an accident he was in at the age of 19 that took away his ability to walk he was outfitted in this it's called a exoskeleton it's made by this company rewalk and it's basically like an Iron Man contraption around both of his legs. Um, he has a brace on his back. He controls it. he fly? It. He cannot fly. Okay. But Th- that'll he, be in version 2.0, right? Yeah. He controls how he walks with um, these canes that he has as well. He kind of moves using his hips and That's his so core. Cool. Um, and he's able to walk, um, and he never was before. And after he was outfitted with this, He used to be a runner in high school, so he wanted to do races. He did this 10K in South Carolina, where he's from, earlier this year, and then he's gone on and done other races, like uh, portions of the Portland Marathon and the Marine Corps Marathon.
4: Wait, so you said portions, so what does that mean?
6: Yeah, so because of time constraints, he can really only go maybe a mile in 90 minutes. So he's not going to finish a race in the amount of time, and he's fine with that now. Um, So... For example, for the 5K, he did a mile and a half. For the 10K, he did 2.2 miles. For the marathon, he was going to do a 10K. Unfortunately, his Dopey Challenge didn't quite work out because of two things. One, on Saturday, the half marathon was canceled because of severe weather concerns. And then two, during his marathon, early on, he kind of had a malfunction with his, the basically the foot on the end of his exoskeleton. So he had to finish the marathon in a wheelchair um, just to get to the finish line. And he was cool with that. Like things happen. Um, and it's all a part of his overall plan to just build up steps. He wants to do one million steps and raise a dollar for each step with his organization, I Got Legs, to help other people get these exoskeletons and experience what he's experienced. I mean, they're not cheap. They're more than eighty thousand dollars so he wants to help
4: a lot of people if he can we also um, were able to get a clip right after he finished the 5k thanks to our friends at run disney so let's take a listen and hear you know what he sounded like after finishing the 5k My daughter told me i was never gonna walk again little did i know that i would proved them wrong i spent the first nineteen years of my life able-bodied the past eleven years disabled when i'm standing up and walking in my exoskeleton I don't feel disabled
0: anymore, but I don't feel able-bodied either. I really do feel like I I am a re-enabled athlete. You guys are
6: amazing. Yeah, so once again, congratulations to Adam. Go check out the article. It'll be on our episode page. You can see video of him competing in these races. It's really incredible technology that's helping him walk again and a lot of other people as well. Um, And while we're on the subject of technology, CES 2017 took place last weekend in Las Vegas, so uh, tech nerds and people who love big, shiny TVs. People like you. Yeah. um, I love looking at stuff that I cannot afford. Um, But also a part of this is the health and fitness industry is really into tech right now. So our shoes and gear editor, Jeff Dengate. He was out in Las Vegas checking out all the cool new products. He picked 15 of kind of his favorite things that runners and health aficionados will be really interested in this coming year coming out soon.
4: Yeah, so those are featured on our website, but of course, we had to pick out our favorites. So Brian, new running technology, what's your favorite?
6: The thing that stood out to me was uh, a sock. (laughs)
4: <laughs> a sock, yeah. a humble sock. The humble sock. I so, don't think, how does the technology in a sock change since, like, cavemen decided they needed their feet warm? You'd be shocked, Kit. So the Sensoria Smart Sock 2.0, so
6: it's a second version. Um, it has built-in pressure sensors to measure how you land when okay. you're running. So it can kind of help you upgrade your running form. It retails for, like, $200, and I guarantee I would watch them twice and lose the sock.
4: <laughs> and so you would be half smart wearing one smart yeah, sock. I'd run one... half better Yeah, because I would yeah. only have one form. Yeah, and your right could... side would have perfect form, but exactly. your left side without the smart sock would just be left behind. Mm-hmm. So what stood out to you? Well, so a lot of this technology, you know, seems to be solving non-existent problems and then <laughs> charging exorbitant amounts to solve those non-existent problems. hmm My favorite item was they're the Comply Sport Plus with Sweat Guard. Mm -hmm. Essentially, they're these little tiny foam uh, rings, almost, that you put around your earbuds. Mm -hmm. And it solves a basic functional problem, which is your earbuds fall out all the time because of sweat so these are sweat proof they just protect the earbuds on your you know earphones and they provide just a little bit more padding to keep them in oh. and the
6: other thing that you like about it is that they're 15 dollars. yes
4: they're 15 dollars. there's no smart technology i don't need my earbuds to be that smart i want to be a little smart but maybe like middle school smart i would also prefer that my socks not be smarter than me oh Mine would be. That's kind of a requirement that I have. (laughs) Definitely. Um, So,
6: we mentioned Jeff. He was out in Las Vegas. He's actually taking part in a challenge in 2017 where he runs every day of the year and he's going to run in a different pair of shoes each time, or at least a different pair once a day. I don't know if there are that many shoes out there.
4: Yeah, so he, he believes that he is going to be able to run in 365 different models, mm-hmm. not just like a pair. And not pair, different like, color. I mean, the amount of shoes that he has is absurd, so I actually kind of believe Mm-hmm. this to be possible. We but, have a giant um, shoe room. But you can actually follow Jeff Dengate on Instagram. He takes photos of his shoes every day. Yeah, it's exactly. It's actually pretty cool.
6: But um, he might have been beat in 2016 by this one guy. He had a really interesting challenge for the year that he
4: was going to turn 66. Yes. So there's a guy named Tim Klegel, and he turned 66 in 2016. So mm-hmm. he decided to run 1,950 miles in 2016 to, you know, celebrate the year he was born. Running every day is a streak. Yeah, running every day is a streak. He also added on to that streak, which is my favorite part of the streak, he drank a different beer every day. So he drank 366 different beers last year. Um, there's an amazing photo of him with all of the empty <laughs> bottles around it. Uh, so great streak, a mile and a beer a day sounds perfect to me. Yeah, one
6: of his favorite beers, Berkshire Brewing Company's Shabadoo Black and Tan Ale. I've never had it, but I would I would totally try that beer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and this and this streak sounds more doable to me than Jeff' streak one because I couldn't get access to shoes. Um, but I might like beer a little bit more than running shoes. The the challenge would be running every single day.
4: Yeah, I, I don't think it would be a challenge to drink a beer
6: a day. Maybe we should do. Maybe we should hit a different diner every day. Back to your
4: original goal of 2017. That's a phenomenal goal. A 5K to a diner. 5K to a diner and with my favorite, you know, a good veggie omelet with pancakes on the side. It sounds fantastic. East Penn's about a half mile away, so we're going to head out <laughs> right now and go do that. All right, thanks, Kit.
0: Thanks. That's it for this week's show. We recently caught up on all the ratings and reviews and emails you guys have been sending in, and we're so grateful for your feedback. I'm David Willie, Editor-in-Chief of Runner's World, and this week's show was produced by Sylvia Ryerson, Christine Fennessy, and Brian Dalek. Be sure to join us next week for my interview with runner and radio celebrity Peter Sagel. A lot of times people look at me and they say, you run marathons? Because I'm stocky and my legs are short,
4: and uh, I'm, to put it mildly, not that sinewy kind of person you think of when you think of a long-distance runner. But I just, for some reason, had the mindset and, when I needed it, the willpower to just go after it. I think, um, you know, there's an old, there's an old saying like,
0: uh, those who can't play sports run, those who can't run, run long distance. <laughs> and, and that's me. You won't want to miss it, so we will see you next week.